Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, co-host of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. Uh, Sooners are still basking in the glow of a big Red River rivalry win. So I uh, figured I'd get a national guy on to kind of give his perspective on the win because you've heard plenty from uh, people who are Oklahoma and Texas partisans at this point. So I called up my good friend uh, Chip Patterson, host of Cover Three and ParCBSSports.com, to uh, give us his uh, his take on on it, and also maybe some of the bigger stories nationally. So let's go ahead and welcome him on, Chip. What's up, man? Alan, it is so so great not only to be here but to be on here during the off week after the thirty four thirty win. I mean, like <laughs> you know, like you you asked me to come on, Alan. You know, I would like a hundred percent. We carve out a time. I'm going to be here, but I just know in my preparation for this conversation that the overall tone is a little less angsty than <laughs> to. I mean, thanks to holding off a free rushing corner, right? Like with the left guard saying, oh, no, I've got nobody to block. And Dylan Gabriel <laughs> hanging on just long enough. Like so many things went right in that. Like, I I don't know if you listen to the podcast going into it, but like my only expectation that I felt confident about was that Oklahoma was going to get off to a good start because I've been drinking from the Oklahoma first quarter against the spread. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, just cashing first quarter tickets all season. Yeah, I was like any other result I would believe. And sure enough, man, it delivered. So happy to be with you, a but especially to do so uh, after the win. I, I know that Oklahoma fans listening to this are in a much better mood than if uh, that had <laughs> gone the other way. So let me give it to me straight, man. Like the past 18 months or so, almost two years now, how bad has it been for you guys dealing with Oklahoma fans? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I so I'm not uh, I don't traffic in the business of like doubling down and, you know, like pressing, you know, like needling even more. Yeah. Um, And also like to be like very candid because. I um like I I grew up in Raleigh, like a North Carolina guy, still live in Raleigh. And you know, when I first started at CBS back in 2010, like I was just kind of mostly on the ACC beat. And 2010 means that basically my career covering college football for CBS has been to watch the Clemson rise and be able mm-hmm. to be the person who gets called to go do a lot of that stuff. And um, you know, a Brent's always been very kind to me. I'm, I'm not boys with him or anything, but I I have been very interested in sort of tracking what was going to be next after that start. And 
So I've been a little bit less interested personally in like the overall Oklahoma fan base. And instead, I think I've been more invested in just seeing what Brent Venables is going to do with what is an unbelievable opportunity, because I believe that Oklahoma has built and you would be able to speak to this, but all the feedback I've gotten is that the operation is well built, right? Like just sort of the infrastructure around Oklahoma football. Clearly, you know, RIP, John Blake. But uh, like there are examples of ways that it can go south. And, and and there's there's also a lot of evidence that, you know, if you get in there and, and you make a, the right decisions, you make a couple right hires that man, you can you can really, really find some success at a high level. And so I've been interested in seeing after what was without a doubt a disappointing 2022, you know, what how does Brent Venables respond? Because at its lowest, you're like, oh, my gosh, did we make a mistake? But as we're sitting here and Oklahoma has the win against Texas, a manageable schedule the rest of the way, you're like, holy crap, is he going to lead Oklahoma to the playoff? Like mm-hmm. that is just such a, a wide range from 49 to nothing a year ago to all of a sudden being able to get here today. So my my relationship with the Oklahoma fan base is, hasn't been as antagonistic as some of my cover three <laughs> who enjoy, you know, pressing the button more than I do. My sort of 18 month journey has been like, wow, great opportunity for Brent Venables. Oh no, that did not go very well. Yeah. And then to to sort of see where things have positioned now is uh, is very interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember, gosh, a while back earlier this year, you guys were talking about something on your show about OU. I forget exactly what it was, but I like hit Tom Fernelli up on Twitter. You know, I was like, hey, did you mean when you said this? Blah blah blah. And you know, I tagged him obviously. And I didn't realize what I had just unleashed on Tom. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Tom, bro, I am sorry, man. Like, I just meant to ask, like, I really wanted to, you know, I did not mean to sick this legion of people on you because then I saw what it turned into. I was like, oh, you know, he's like, it's my day off. <laughs> you, know? uh, you hit him on a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Oh, don't, don't wreck his mentions on a Tuesday. Yeah, that, man, exactly. <laughs> that man just took up golf and he's already breaking 90. He's like, the yeah. bug has bit him hard. And yeah, so oh, yeah. don't flood his mentions when he's trying to dial in from 150 yards out. Yeah, yeah man, I felt so bad at that point. But uh, no, it's been interesting. So, I mean, I guess going forward, based on what you've seen out of OU so far this year, I mean, it's very. you mentioned it's very manageable going the rest of the way. I mean, does this have the look of a team that could be in the playoff to you, the look of a team that could compete in the playoff if they get there? Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. Look of a team that could be in the playoff. Yes, I do think that in that, like, are are we talking about somebody that you right. think has the piece? Yeah, that has the pieces to go and win mm-hmm. two playoff games. Like I it was, I think that the line I was using in the preseason was 
Um, you know, whenever anybody was asking Oklahoma win total, I was like, yeah, I, I think it might be, you know, more of a eight to nine win roster that happens to have a 10 or 11 win schedule. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is that, no, it's probably a, a 10 win roster. And that'd probably be on the defensive side of the ball where like, if you throw another big 12 schedule at Oklahoma, they might end up 10 and two, 11 and one. Um, but listen, 12 and 0 showing up on the first Saturday in December with a chance to play your way into the college football playoff is what this is looking like. And, and honestly, like with what we've seen, so what, I mean, is at Kansas the toughest game left? Yeah, I mean, gosh, and yeah, maybe. Like right. Kansas's defense is such a weakness. There's no way that you're going to be making that pick. TCU's an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah. Like, I mean, West Virginia's the pain in the ass team, but I mean, that pain in the ass is only going to get you so far, right. especially when you're talking about a team. Like they're not going to be able to, to lean on that big offensive line with the improvements that Oklahoma has made on the defensive line. Like I... Anything other than showing up on the first Saturday in December, we assume with a rematch against Texas mm-hmm. that will be like colossal in magnitude and interest and everything else. Anything other than that, I think it's fair to to say that it would be a little bit of a disappointment. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's kind yeah, of where we're at, right? Yeah, I mean, does it have the look of a team that can be in the playoff? Yes. Does it have uh, the look of a team that I am ready to win two games against the likes of Michigan, you know, like a, the Michigan looks like a better team to me. I know they haven't played anybody, but they've kicked everyone's ass. Like yeah. I just at some point, and this was my argument for Oklahoma going into last Saturday. At some point, it's how you play, right? And Oklahoma, let's see, what is it? Uh, I think that it's seven minutes against Texas and five minutes against Cincinnati. And I think every other minute of gameplay has been Oklahoma lead or tied. Yeah. I mean, they they controlled for the most part, you know, I mean, they hadn't necessarily looked like dominant in every game, but yeah, no, they've been, they've been had the solid. upper hand, they've had the leverage, you know, the yeah. leverage in competition and everywhere else. Um, yeah. But that's sort of my thing with Michigan is I, I think they are just absolutely stocked, uh, especially at the lines of scrimmage where I, uh, I think that that's a team that could go in and and really cause some damage that look, I know that they've lost in the semifinals two years in a row, but they, they look when I'm sort of stacking up those top teams, I've got less questions uh, about mm-hmm. Michigan than I do about most teams in the country. So going forward, then what about Texas? I mean, how do you see these teams? I mean, I think, you know, we both are expecting right at this point, like, I know you, Texas, rematch but do you see anywhere where you feel like texas could slip up themselves i mean or i mean is there or do you have any questions about texas i guess after the last weekend hmm. not not in terms of personnel and not in terms of i mean well all right they need more consistent play out of their pass catchers and you know, I mean, there's a lot of drops like there that that ca- that catch percentage for mm-hmm. those Texas receivers is not equal to their um, speed and not equal to their athleticism and their projections, their their star rating and everything else. Um, but man, I, I do think it's fair. I think it's fair to wonder if this offense and Steve Sarkeesian in general kind of feels a little grab bag. Because to me, the best thing they do is probably run the football behind the offensive line with Jonathan Brooks. And look, 
What's the name of uh, Texas's center? I don't have their uh, depth oh, chart. Majors, yeah. Yeah, when, majors, yeah. Yeah, when he left the game, that was, especially against a team like Oklahoma, that was a big development in that game. If they can get right on the offensive line, you know, there's not, the, already I would say there's not another defensive front that is going to be able to hurt them the way that Oklahoma can. But it's just, I don't really know. I don't know what their hammer is on offense. I think it's Jonathan Brooks, but there's just so much going on that it, maybe it's fair to turn the attention back to coaching, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the red zone thing is really interesting. Like they, cause they get, they get down there. It makes you wonder. I mean, you know, you hate to go all manhood or toughness or whatever, but I mean, like their inability can, to consistently punch it in is really strange to me, you know, I mean, they, cause it feels like, they should have all the pieces and, you know, to, to thrive in short yards. I mean, Brooks is good. You know right. I mean? They've got big guys like, you know, Sanders, for example, who can catch him now. Grant, he wasn't there against OU, but, and just something about that, that they get inside the, the 10, get inside the five. And it's just, they, they clam up for some reason. It's uh, I can't really figure it out. All right, listen, we can, we can take this because I, I think that that's been my next challenge is, um, you know, like, for example, uh, people say there's no such thing as momentum. You're right. There's no such thing as momentum, but there is something as confidence. Like, yeah. you don't want to question their manhood. What about questioning their identity or the, whether they have an identity? You know, there are teams that, to your point, get in short yardage situations, get in red zone situations. They know exactly what they're going to do, and there's no question. And I think that that's where, you know, your observation of mine might be falling together. Like, what is the identity of this offense? Because they've got mm -hmm. so many different pieces that look good but when you need to simplify things and go out there and execute i i just don't know if i've i don't know if i've seen that uh across texas's season so far but look like i mentioned the pieces are there they yeah. find that then they can get right back like i i did not downgrade texas a lot you know coming out I mean, of the I, loss. No, i didn't either yeah so i mean to I'm, me it just looked like it was two really good teams in oklahoma yeah. one. like that's just, you know, sometimes that's how it is, right? Yeah, which is, again, why I think the rematch is just going to be huge. You know, yeah. like if, if Texas takes care of business, Oklahoma takes care of business, and it's 12-0 and Oklahoma against 11-1 and Texas, then there's no question about it. Like, whoever yeah. wins that football game is going to have one of those four spots competing yeah. for the national championship. Yeah, that's where I think we're heading. And so, but there's a weird mess coming up there in your neck of the woods in the ACC, man, right? Because, do I have this right? So, there are... So let's see here. Florida State, Louisville, North Carolina, North Carolina, all undefeated. Correct. And they don't play each other? Correct. <laughs> so how's this going to play out, man? You tell me. So the first, yeah, I can tell you. Uh, so the first um, tiebreaker is record against common opponents. And if they're all undefeated, guess what? They've all beat <laughs> the common opponents, right? Like Duke is one of the common opponents. And if they're all undefeated, then they've all beat Duke. And so they've they've all got the same record against Duke. So then we start working our way. And by the way, the end of this is a commissioner-observed draw. Yeah. And every single time <laughs> that anybody has asked, like, how that how do we get there? They're like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to yeah. it. Um, right before the draw at the commissioner's office is uh, third-party analytics software determines what happens. <laughs> hey, but hey, I got you. I got you, Alan. Don't worry. Because before that, after the record against common opponents is the win percentage of your conference schedule. And to me, that's where Louisville gets hurt. 
Because the reason why Louisville is in this position is because they've got a soft, soft, soft ACC schedule. They don't play Florida State and North Carolina. They also don't play Clemson. Florida State and North Carolina both play Clemson. I think Clemson is going to continue to stack conference wins. I would not be surprised if the Tigers finish the season nine and three, you know, for example, maybe Mm -hmm. take a loss to North Carolina as well. So that's where I think that if they, if, and, by the way, I don't think Florida State's perfect. I don't think North Carolina's perfect. Louisville, as we mentioned, is really <laughs> no. like a, yeah, like a <laughs> yeah, schedule yeah. scenario type thing. But if for some reason they do all end up undefeated, the way that I've broken down the tiebreakers is that we would land at record of your conference opponents and North Carolina and Florida State, at least through this point in the season, are going to end up with having more conference wins when you stack up all their opponents together. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405 321 3100. That's 405 321 3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Maine and Barrie, just two miles east of I 35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard to find bourbon in store. Man, <laughs> what a mess, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, yay, they, expansion. No, let's yeah. go to 18 teams. Exactly. Teams. You know, you somebody keep... like, so I got asked that on CBS Sports Network, and I was like, look, if we're going to be honest, this is probably going to lead to conversations about how much we're getting out of a conference championship game. Because right. if it's going to continue to lead to these, you know, ridiculous headaches, and we've got a 12 team playoff, and we're trying to figure out the calendar, like, do we, do we still need, I know the conferences like them as like, oh, a cash well, sure. Card. Yeah. But with an expanded playoff, if we're going to have in like 18 team conferences, if trying to figure out who's going to play for the title, is going to become this game where we're having to go through all these tiebreakers. And yet the team that gets a bye week to get ready for the playoff because they didn't make the conference championship game. Like, I, I think that's an interesting, you know, that's a June conversation. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily yeah. an October conversation, but certainly with the ACC scenario, something that came to mind. Right. And with the, you know, ACC kind of being a, a- yeah, test lab here, given that they're done with divisions, you know, so right. again, it's just, you're throwing everybody in this big kind of stew and trying to figure it out, you know, it's just, meh. but your, your Tar Heels, man, they've got a, uh, they got a, you know, an interesting one here coming up. Cause what the hell is Miami's mindset going to look like, right. Coming off uh, one of the, I mean, you know, a, a spectacular gaffe on the part of Miami coach Mario Cristobal, and he's done it before in his career. You know, like, I mean, what what kind of mindset do you think Miami has going to this game? I expect that they will not, this will not be a place where we see Miami like on quit watch, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I because that's just embarrassing. Like it is embarrassing to be in that position against Georgia Tech. Like it is embarrassing to, like, don't forget, Haynes King had no timeouts. Yeah. It went the length of the field in two plays. Cam Kitchens is like going to be in the NFL. He is an all ACC caliber defensive back. And he just had, 
a brain fart? I don't know. I, I'm trying to be nice to it, understand it's a chaotic, confusing scenario. He probably thought the game was over too. All of a sudden, he's got to run out there and try to play defense. All of a sudden, you let the wide receiver behind him. I I think that everybody in that, like breaking down the film, trying to get right, I think the fact that their next game is against North Carolina and not like Virginia Tech is probably good just because mm-hmm. it'll get your attention. The fact that it's a night game, you know, big game, but all that said, North Carolina has Miami's number. Yeah. Like I know that Miami hasn't been great, but they've won four straight, and I think it's six out of the last eight against the Hurricanes. You know, the ACC Coastal Division foes, RIP Coastal, but like mm. they've played every single year. And for whatever reason, North Carolina has, has kind of been there. Um with a little bit of a leg up in recent years, especially when the game's in North. To my mind, I can only think of one game in Chapel Hill that Miami has won. And it was when Larry Fedora declared zero dark 30. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I I think that the ultimate equalizer, when we look at like that game in North Carolina and North Carolina ceiling, because the Tez Walker situation, like, oh, like how how much of an upgrade is this for North Carolina's offense? And look, Tez Walker is valuable. Yes. But you you know who else has made Nate McCullum look like an all ACC receiver, like (laughs) break may stealing of this team is number 10 since about the second quarter of the pit game. He's flipped a switch. He did not have a great start to the season and he has just been phenomenal. Like Pitt kind of put the clamps on the run game early that, that game that was up there, kind of trap spot for the for the Tar Heels coming out of the Minnesota win and I just think that ever since then he's he's been fully settled into that offense total command um and that's like he's starting to show the form that had people talking about him with that one and two type scenario right there with Caleb so the the ceiling for the for the North Carolina offense what North Carolina can accomplish this year which is having a good chance to win every single game, Miami and everything the rest of the way, including going to Clemson. I won't pick it. I'll probably pick Clemson Mm -hmm. just because I think Clemson's defensive line is a problem for anybody. Um, But I think that this is going to be a spot where we just continue to look at Drake may as like, okay, like let's, he, he shook off the rough start, but that's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Yeah. You know, I mean, I definitely saw the tools coming into this season but, you know, when people kind of put him up there in the Caleb Williams stratosphere, I was always kind of like, I mean, I still think Caleb Williams is the best player in college football and might be the best like quarterback prospect. in I don't know how long. Right. Yeah. Agreed. But like May is a, you know, very capable, uh, you know, number two in that scenario. I mean, he's he's sharp, man. Like I'm I've been super impressed with him. Um. So looking ahead, though, we're kind of at the midway point of the season, which kind of sucks. But like, (laughs) you know, looking ahead, like what are what are the big stories that you and, you know, Tom, Bud, Danny, what are you guys going to be talking about? You feel like the rest of the way, like what's going to be, you know, a perpetual theme for the rest of the season? Um, In a year where I think that you don't have that, like, number one with a dot, right? You know, and you probably have a group of like seven, eight, nine that are going to be fighting for those four spots. And it's not like the the only big story, but the title race, like when you're talking mm-hmm. nationally, um, it does end up being part of the picture. So it's just kind of like starting with 
Oregon and Washington. The loser's not out, but boy, it's going to be tough for the loser to be able to climb back in this. And so I think it's just on a on on one hand, it's it's just kind of like a week by week. All right, like where where is the where's it going to be put on the line? Like who's going to take their their contender status and, and put it up and then go out there and battle? And I think that that is going to be really really fun um, as we do have those those big games coming down the stretch. You know, we talked about, for example, um, you know, Georgia's backloaded schedule and they're not going to have to play anybody until whenever. Well, guess what? Like we're here, right? Yeah. You know, like I don't think Kentucky was worth the little number that was were beside their name, but it did look like Georgia understood that now is go time, you yeah. know, like, like, okay, here, let's, let's turn to page two of the playbook since we've just been running the spring game offense for the past four weeks. So yeah, it's, it's nice it is nice to see all the teams that we think have the best personnel scheme coaching to be a contender. It's nice to see them sweat. It's nice to see them adjust. It's nice to see them have to take that next level and really flex their muscles a little bit on the coaching side of things. Um, I, you know, we're, we're kind we're, we're, we're cooking up like, all right, how, who's really on the hot seat, right? Like who's, who's actually, cause I mean, Neil Brown, good golly, that mm-hmm. guy has led a miracle march yeah. right off the hot seat to be right? able to uh, get the Mountaineers out. So you know, kind of trying to figure out the hot seat stuff. Um, you know, man. Oh, do you think Nick Saban's going to retire? I'm going to ask you, Alan. Do you think Nick Saban's going to retire at the end of the year? Man, like I'm kind of with Bud on this. Just the way that he's been carrying himself this year, you know, like joking around with callers on the call-in show and. You know, I mean, he's he's treating this team more with kid gloves than he has in the past. Like, I kind of feel like maybe this is it. I, I, I know, really do too. think so, man. Like, know, and, and that's and like you want to talk about a, a story that would just completely wreck the college football mm-hmm. world. Like, first you've got to do the Nick Saban honor the goat type stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Alabama job opening, and then yeah. you've got whatever the dominoes would be in the coaching carousel from the Alabama job opening. And how would he time it with the early signing period and you know everything else? I, I don't, I don't know. Like that's. That's another one that is uh, a little bit interesting to me. So let's see, uh, Pac-12, um, seeing who comes out on top, and the ACC. Um, yeah, it should give put put me down for and again, like definitely ACC focused here, but put me down for seeing how Clemson finishes. You know, mm-hmm. they got two losses already, but it still feels like a pretty quality football team. Obviously, if Florida State can get the job done, that's incredibly massive. But, you know, whether it's Texas, whether it's USC, you know, even Florida State's kind of played with its food a little bit. Yeah. seems like all those teams that we said were back after week two, they're all starting to look a little bit more, you know, regular. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I kind of take it week by week for the most part, but I'm mm-hmm. glad you asked that question. Cause I've got to write a feature next week for cbssports.com talking about the big storylines. <laughs> I apologize. I didn't have them ready. Oh to- no, 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 man. No, this I've is at least, about uh, too, yeah, this is at least kickstarting the, uh, the, the engine a little bit so I can start thinking yeah. about it. I guess we got to think about uh, a and M too, where it's always, uh, yeah, like if, <laughs> if, if all of a sudden, Price accrued, you know, it allows them to make a move on uh, on Jimbo Fisher. And then what would happen from there? Again, I just I don't know. I don't I know that the big domino is always like lurking around the corner, mm-hmm. something that's a little surprising. But right now, I don't see the other than Jimbo Fisher. I don't know where the um super high profile job 
where the coach is on the hot seat. I, I don't see that right now. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'll get you out of here with this. Like a lot about college sports is changing, right? A lot of allegiances are shifting conferences, teams moving around and everything. Oh yeah. If Clemson leaves the ACC before the end of the season, then that would be just a massive story. Well, line. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that I'll believe it when I see it, but <laughs> I, uh, listen, I, I think, I think that there are uh, schools at the, I've, I've described it like this. I think there are schools that are at the top of the high dive all saying you first. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like they've, and- they've made up their mind internally and it might happen this month. It might happen mm-hmm. uh, in June. It might happen a year and a half from now, but yeah. it does. It does. I mean, it's going like, to happen. Yeah. It's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. Right. I think it's a matter of, of how long it takes to extricate themselves. Right. From that situation. Right. But so, but you know, it's an interesting spot for CBS, your employer, because, right, I mean, CBS has been the home of the SEC for uh, however long, right? And now, I mean, we're talking about, you know, all new conference allegiances for, for CBS, right? I mean, the, and thinking about, like, the focus, I mean, it's got to be an interesting time for someone like you in the media, I guess, would be my would be my point, right? Like, you, you already have to focus on a national level, right? But, like... Now it's like you got to familiarize yourself with different kind of like conference identities and rhythms and stuff, right? I mean, just it's just an interesting time. I do think the Cover 3 podcast has helped so to mm-hmm. make me flexible. I mean, I, I've said on the Cover 3 podcast, I feel good that we can talk about like 75 to 80. I mean, Bud can talk about all 133 yeah. almost. It feels, <laughs> like, but like, yeah. it, it feels like we can have sensible, knowledgeable conversations about about 75 to 80 teams and with a like pretty well-informed, if not, if not specifically well-informed, at least understanding to your point, like the vibe, you know, like Mm -hmm. what's going on, like what, what, what are the big storylines around these teams and around these programs? And so what it'll change is um, it probably changes. If if I get five questions in a CBS sports HQ hit, you know, in like a segment, then there's probably one more Big Ten question and one less SEC question, but then the yeah. others are still going to be five big, you know, four biggest talking points across the entire country. Uh, you're always going to, I mean, newsflash, you're always going to have at least one part that is going to be promoting some action that is mm-hmm. on your network. And it's not like we're losing the SEC and not replacing it with anything, we're replacing it with the Big Ten. Right. Which massive fan bases, you know, like huge, big ass schools with tons and tons of alumni. Like there is no shortage of uh, passion and storylines and ways that you can tap into it. Like, have they won as many national national championships? No, but in terms of where they are in the, you know, recruiting world, where they are in, um, you know, the, the overall football landscape, like these, these are healthy programs with most of them good coaches, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh and and a lot to be able to chew on. So I'm I'm excited about it, you know. And hey, don't don't sleep on us, man. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I do love me getting those Mountain West. All right. Yeah. We got yeah. the, the, the <laughs> 10 30 p.m. Eastern time. A lot of people don't know that we play the trumpets for that too. Oh, if, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if you think the SEC on CBS theme song was <laughs> 
no, no, no. We play that for Army and Navy <laughs> yeah. and Air Force yeah. and the Mountain West. And yeah. I think he was playing with Kyusa on the last <laughs> night for that Tuesday night Conference USA action. So, uh, yeah, it's I again to to your question. I feel um, confident, comfortable, and happy that where we have carved out our position in the space in the media on the podcast is mm-hmm. that. We, we can handle any of the big stories and talking points. We haven't backed ourselves into a one conference corner. And so whatever you like, all right, big boss, like whatever you need, we're good. We can deliver yeah. it. I feel, all right, I feel you. I feel you. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, so it's such a fun show. Cover three, man. Like, you know, you guys even managed to make stuff interesting in the summers and everything. So, you know, as a, as a, college football junkie i appreciate that man i am so thankful because you know it get it, you guys managed in even in the driest of the dry periods to uh to entertain but uh season's going strong right now so not you know stories are writing themselves really you know yeah i mean look if if there's any listener um on to through the keyhole that is curious about cover 3 and you're not familiar like i i truly believe that all you need to do is love college football because like we've got four different hosts with four very different perspectives. And if you listen to a bunch of episodes, you're probably going to totally agree with one of us, totally hate what somebody else says. And then those opinions will flip like, you know, the (laughs) other week. And it's just the fact that we legitimately are not faking it. We enjoy talking about it with each other. We all really love this stuff. And to your point about the off season, like we just want to have fun. Like th- yeah. this is, this is college football. We want to have fun with it. We want to enjoy talking about it. Um, and so uh, hopefully that does come through. And a lot of people, according to a lot of people, it sure sounds like it does. Even Danny Cannell sounds reasonable. man. I, I tell <laughs> you, man, listen, if you only judge DK by his Twitter presence, then you are missing out on like a wealth of experience, um, some great opinions, some, some jokes like he's. I day trading the, Day train Danny is the funniest <laughs> thing I've heard in a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, no, man, so he's good, and like the the insights he has when he's talking about like what it was like for me playing at Florida State and going through the recruiting. I mean, he's he's so he's really honest about all that stuff too, man. That stuff right. is I think fascinating. So I agree. Well, well, I've taken enough of your time. I know you got your own show to do now, man. So thank you so much for joining us, Chip. Thanks, Alan. All right. Thanks again to Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, they do a great job over there. Him, Tom Finelli, Bud Elliott, and Danny Cannell. And thanks to you all for joining us, too. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And uh, for Peyton and Brady and Matt, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, take it easy, y'all. <laughs>